Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest, in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affects all of us in and out of the ACB community. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, and you are listening to ACB Radio Mainstream. So, of course, it's Sunday edition, as the uh, announcement of the floor just, uh, just told us all. So, I have a great show, and it's a jam-packed show. So, we're going to dive right in and start with a couple of announcements. Um, I have been featuring announcements for the past couple of months informally, but I decided to put it out there to everybody that if you have some stuff going on in the ACP community and you want uh, want me to promote it on Sunday edition, and some people uh, some people sent some stuff in. So, I want to remind everybody that it's awards season in ACB. The ADP award nominations are still being taken. ACB leadership awards, the DKM and the fellowship are still taking applications. So, you can find all of those various awards on the ADP website or acb.org. Uh, please go check it out if you know somebody who is doing something extraordinary and awesome in our community or for audio description, or they're a leader that uh, you want to help them find the mentorship in the leadership program, then please go hit up the website and uh, send in your nominations. I also have friends of the show, Cheryl Cummings, who has an awesome program that she is promoting. So Cheryl, tell us all about it. Thank you so much, Anthony. Um, this is a program for kids in middle and high school. Um, it is a program that um, includes dance, includes writing, includes the speaking, presentation. So uh, it's happening April 20th through the 23rd from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern. It's virtual. Um, and the after school program I run, which is called Our Space, Our Place, we're putting it together and um, we're inviting kids to come and join us. Basically, you're going to learn sort of a, a dance from the uh, Nutcracker taught by a ballet instructor and a ballet dancer. And then we're going to sort of use that knowledge to create an audio description of the dance. So we have sort of two purposes. We want to introduce kids to ballet, but we also want to, and we want to introduce kids to audio description. So if you've ever been curious, like how do they do that? You know, come and spend some time with us. Uh, April 20th through the 23rd, um, as I said, from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern. And to do that, you can call me at 617 Four five nine four zero eight four, or you can send me an email at uh, president at our space our place altogether. So president at our space our place dot org. 
Cheryl, before you go, you're working on an interesting project. Did you want to say a few words about that as well? Oh, yes, yes. So, um, you know, for the last year, we've all been talking about issues concerning social justice and race and disability justice and disability rights. And so um, myself, a member of the Multicultural Affairs Committee, Anthony and uh, Gabe from, the, from BPI, Linda Perel from Women's Concerns and um, some other folks, we've all gotten together and we're trying to put together a book list. So it's obviously not gonna be the definitive list because it's just sort of, it, it's our recommendations on books that we think um, you know, our ACB members can read if you're interested in, in any sort of topic. So there'll be categories, uh, African-American, um, uh, lat, 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 sorry, Latinx. Um, there'll be uh, LGBTQ plus, uh, women, uh, Asian American and Pacific Islander, uh, and the uh, Native Americans and uh, blind slash disability rights. Um, so that's that's the project we're working on. Thank you, Cheryl. So glad you could come to Sunday edition. You know, I love you much. I have one more announcement. Mr. Byron, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. What uh, what were we working on yesterday? What's coming up on Tuesday? Well, uh, my my friend and your friend and a fellow BPI member, Sarah Chung, came up with a, a really good idea uh, for a conversation that we should have on Pride Connection. And that is about um, Stop Asian Hate, you know, basically talking about all of the things that that have gone down in this country, um, the shooting in Atlanta, and the reaction that the Asian community has had to that. Um, and we have uh, some really great people on with us. So it's Anthony and I, and then of course, Sarah Chung sort of leads the conversation. Um, and then we also have Tyann uh, uh, Wilmoth and uh, Mark Hanohano. Uh, on to talk about the issues and it was a really it, it was a really uh, great show and a lot of really important things were said and uh, it was insightful for me uh, to be able to to just hear uh, some Asian voices and, um, and and hear what they're going through right now yeah it absolutely was so 10 o'clock on acb radio mainstream on tuesdays is pride connection and of course you can find it on the acb uh, radio.org uh, podcast list and in various podcast catchers if you type in acb pride connection so if you are listening to sunday edition and as we get into this fascinating education program and cogswell macy if you have any questions and you're not on a zoom you can go to the facebook community group and grab the link there or it's on various lists we welcome all questions last week i had the pleasure of welcoming back janine stanley from ira friends of the show she's been here a few times and i had to bug her the other day because i actually dropped the ball last sunday when we were talking about ira's um assistance with finding 
scheduling and when you're actually at vaccination sites, I didn't really delve too much more into it for best practices. And I got a couple of emails this week asking for more information. So instead of me trying to decipher that information, I went straight back to the bubbly, effervescent, vivacious source herself. Janine, welcome back to Sunday edition two weeks in a row. <laughs> hey, hey, thank you, Anthony. And I don't know about the bubbly and effervescence. I, I don't think I'm going to go there, but you are never bugging me. Okay, never. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Never, never. So, yeah, so these are great questions about how to take best advantage because it's only 30 minutes per day. And so you want to make the best of what, you know, what you can there. And I actually have some tips and tricks from our agents went right to the source. And the first one is that, and you can do this prior to your call, uh, you can have your agents list some websites that you will be going to that you know are not accessible. Let's say your uh, county website is not accessible maybe, and you know what it is, you know what the problem is going to be. And so you can list that in your profile. You actually have a folder of IRA, information. Everybody has one with their account. Even our free five-minute people can list those in the notes section of their folder. So they're easy to get to for an agent. Uh, tell them, this is my county website. I want to list it so that when I call in for the vaccine promo, you can go right to it. Same thing if you have to have any login information put up there, have your county name, have your any login information that you have for a health provider like uh, my chart or something like that, and you're going to go to that website if you can have that ahead of time. What our agents have found really saves time if you just throw up your hands and say, I don't know what to do. I am so overwhelmed by this. I just want to get my vaccine they will start or tend to start, or you can suggest for them to start at your county's public health department. This is probably, um, you can start with your state, but it's actually easier to start with your county in some cases. They may refer you to the city health department, which happened to me. Um, I'm actually, believe it or not, not considered to be in the city of Columbus. So I had to go through the county to do all of my stuff because I'm not, it, it, we're kind of a, an incorporated village. So we uh, started with the county site. And as you encounter these inaccessible parts of the site, that's what you can note. Oh, okay. I didn't have a problem registering, but then when I tried to get an appointment, I can't get in and uh, there's something blocking and I don't know what's going on. So knowing the most about what is inaccessible about the process helps, but if you're just really, really frustrated and don't know, there are a couple places to go. Um, county being the first one, your county health department. And around the world, because this offer is available in all of our locations, I'm not sure what your process is there, but your local government is probably your first place to start or your health department uh, if there is that entity in your area, but your local government is going to be your first place to start. Now, when you're navigating places, um, getting a general layout of how things are going seems to be quite helpful for people when you first go in. If it's a really huge location, like the Javits Center in Manhattan, um, 
I can't imagine. <laughs> but what we are also finding is that many of these places have a lot of volunteers to help move people along and help maintain the social distancing and everything that you're going to need. So that is a good thing. Now, whether or not those volunteers have proper training, that's a whole other issue. Um, but helping you locate maybe a volunteer, a worker, somebody at the site who can actually help you through if it's a long, long type of line, those are also great things to keep in mind. But I think the biggest one is to get your information in ahead of time. And uh, pharmacies, if you have an account with a local pharmacy or a grocery store pharmacy or a uh, you know, a pharmacy chain like CVS or Walgreens or uh, let's say Kroger or Giant Eagle or any of the, you know, any of the grocery stores. And actually, if you're in the Midwest, Meyer grocery stores. I don't know if they have the vaccine or not, though. But um, put your login information for your pharmacy account in your IRA folder ahead of time. And that way the agent can grab it quickly. Uh, because one of the big things with, as you probably have found out with these vaccine sites is speed. You've got to be quick to get in there before things disappear. So those are my tips and tricks for everybody. So if I can expand for a second, um, I think a lot of people don't take advantage of the message, you know, before you call feature. Mm -hmm. And can you walk the folks through how to access their folder to put information in? Absolutely. So you can put information in your folder only during a call with an agent. And one of the easy ways to get the information into your folder is by putting it in the message feature before a call. That way you don't have to waste time with your agent typing it. They can just copy and paste it once, it's, uh, once you're in the call. And on your home screen, there is a screen that says call. Call Ira with a message. And when you double tap on that, you're going to be prompted to go ahead and put some text in there. You can do some already pre-programmed text, or you can type in the information that you need. Now, we already have your address and all of the, well, we may have your address and all of that information if you have a paid account. But if not, go ahead and put that in the notes as well. And we can go ahead and put that in your folder and have it there ready for you. But the messaging feature is a great way to put in, you know, usernames and passwords. And then you just tell your agent, you know that message that I sent you at the beginning of the call, please put that in my folder and have that ready to go whenever I call in again to do this website or take advantage of this promo. And that works for anything, you know, not just our vaccine promo, but anything. Well, Janine, thank you for coming back to Sunday Edition. You know, today we are going to be talking education and Cogswell Macy and stuff. And so Debbie Grubb had the great idea of asking you to just go over some of the offers that are available for students, for children, and for parents. Sure, absolutely. Um, we have two particular product offers that are great for students and parents, and then I can tell you how to, what the process is for getting IRA at your own educational institution. And whether it's a high school, whether it's a college, whether it's an, even an elementary school, believe it or not, um, at, at a certain age range, we're working on some trial projects for the um, K through 12 kids. But generally, our minimum age for IRA is 14. 
And we don't have a hard and fast rule about that. We have a couple 12 year olds that are on the service um, that are pretty advanced. Um, but if you are 16 or below, you do need parental um, uh, sign on or the sign on of your vision teacher. And so that's one of the criteria, but we have two offers for distance learning people. We have D2L Brightspace is one of our access partners. So if you use D2L Brightspace, you can look in the apply free offer section of the IRA app and go to, I believe it's under products. And if you're using D2L Brightspace, you can actually use that with the IRA offer. So that means it's free. The other one is Vista Higher Learning, VHL, and that's the other distance learning platform that right now has an access partnership with IRA. Now, if there are others that you're finding difficulty with, please let us know. But the one way that you can actually talk to, primarily this is for colleges and universities. However, as I said, we are happy to work with high schools if that's you know something that is in your maybe IEP or anything like that, we can definitely, you can tell I am, it's probably not even called IEP anymore. <laughs> anyway, um, you can actually write to us or you can go to the webpage ira.io slash access. And there's a form there that you can fill out. Now there is some funding. I'm not sure if it's still available, but there was funding for services related to accessibility through uh, the COVID pandemic time. And I know that some of the universities use that funding to provide IRA because people were using it for things like social distancing, getting around campus, et cetera, et cetera. And so that funding may still be available. We can also put you in touch with other colleges and universities uh, of all sizes to let you know how they got IRA funded and what they are doing with it in their area. So that's basically IRA for uh, students and parents um, and anybody who needs it pretty much. All right, well, before you go, tell us about your trip to Mars. How'd it go? Oh, the trip to Mars was so much fun. You know, it uh, it takes six months to get to Mars and we did it in like 90 minutes because we're amazing like that. Uh, <laughs> but we actually had uh, two scientists and one project manager from NASA on Friday. That podcast will be coming out along with the link for the actual YouTube video. We had a lot of fun. We learned a lot about the uh, Perseverance rover and uh, what's written on the parachute of the rover that you can now see on the surface of Mars. So dare mighty things, which is the motto of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And so, you know, we learned all about that. Um, oh my goodness. Uh, we didn't find Marvin the Martian though. I'm very sad, but you know, we did get to hear sounds from Mars. So that will be coming out very soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming back. And, uh, you know, everybody check out all of those IRA programs and um, use your messaging feature. It definitely yes. speeds up. It speeds up and helps functionality. The messaging feature is Absolutely. awesome. Absolutely. And don't forget your ACB power plans, Anthony. We got the power. <laughs> true, true, true. Oh. Mm -hmm. All right, I hope you'll uh, stay around a little while and listen to some of this awesome program. 
Debbie and Lori, why don't you ladies step up, introduce yourselves, talk a little bit about the committee and where you guys are from, and then we'll go to the panelists. Hi, this is Debbie Grubb, and um, I happen to be the chair of this wonderful ACB Special Education Task Force. I became the chair because when Kim Charlson was running for president, she asked me what I would most like to do during the Charlson administration. And I am a teacher, but I only taught, I did not teach kids with disabilities. I taught in regular public school. But what happened in my life, I met three or four families with a child who was blind or visually impaired. And what I'm gonna say is what all of you know, especially those of you who teach and are familiar with all this, you can plunk down some children anywhere and they're going to learn and grow and thrive because they've got the ability and the personality and the parental help. But I began to see that there were a lot of kids that I came in contact who were not involved in extracurricular activities, who did not have a lot of friends in school, and their parents of the ones I met. And uh, please understand, this is an, a personal experience. This is not a presentation about parents of children who are blind or, or vis and visually impaired or their parents. So, but my heart, I thought, this, this is not right. And the last little person I had any dealings with, he was a wonderful boy. And his mother did what many mothers do. She got tired of him or got tired of responsibility and left him to his grandparents. And he so much wanted to go to a school for the blind because he felt lonely and isolated. But his grandparents who loved him dearly, dearly, dearly felt somehow that if, if they let him go, he would really be blind. And of course he isn't blind, but he really is. So I knew in my heart that I did not have a lot of the knowledge of people such as Lori and Donna, but I had the heart and the passion and the determination. And I really wanted to see this task force morph into a group that deals with all children who are blind and visually impaired and their parents. And I wanted it to be more than just an entity that helped schools for the blind stay open. I just wanted that to be one of the things it did should that need arise. And so we came together with some goals. And what our major goal and thrust is, is that we want to be a resource for anyone, for whatever reason, who is in part or entirely responsible for free and appropriate public education of a child who is blind or visually impaired. And then on top of that came Cogswell Macy. And I remember the first time I sat down and read the wonderful language that Mark Reichert, who is with us today, played such a part and basically wrote. And I'm thinking, you know, we've got to do what we can to help with this. And so I guess what I would say before I turn it over to Lori is that what we really want is to help parents, teachers, counselors, guardians, anyone to feel empowered, to know what they can ask for. My child needs this. 
to know how to really be involved actively in the IEP process. And also our other major goal is to inspire or whatever verb it is you want to use people who are blind and visually impaired as the opportunities arrive to become mentors to these parents and to these children and to help as they can. I mean, I know when I took advantage of that opportunity and tried to lend whatever kind of a helping hand I could lend to the parents who came into my life, it was like I was a cold glass of water in a hot, thirsty land. And if I, who, you know, I'm just a blind person living my life. So I, I think what we want is to empower and educate. And so that is what we are in the business of doing. And we have, we have been meeting all through the Kim Charlson administration and Dan's. And we have several podcasts and I'm going to be, we'll be republicizing those briefly um, soon. And we want, I brought today people here together who can share their experiences, their observations, what they see, what they know, what they believe, and what they've learned. And to make people know it's okay. Just because a person is a staff person at a school does not mean that you don't know enough and you don't have, you shouldn't ask them anything or challenge them. So we're about empowering and getting children moving forward in their free and appropriate publication, public education process with the help and love of their parents and everyone else that's involved. And also teachers and counselors who need resources and who need, who need help. So anyway, I'm going to now turn this over to Lori, but I just, I hope that some of you today can hit your wagon to the star and that you will feel emboldened and have the heart to lend a hand whenever and wherever you can. So Lori, it's yours now. Debbie, and I'd like to welcome everybody today. And our goal here today, I think, is to hear from great parents like Karen, who is the, well, she's blind herself, but she also has a son who is blind and you know has had to advocate for him over the years and you know to kind of talk about how as a community Lori, hold on one second if you're if you aren't speaking if you could please mute that would be very appreciated go ahead Lori. um that panel all plus eight buttons I'm sorry, Anthony, I forgot what I was saying. Um, so our goal today is to kind of talk about how we can help the children who are blind and visually impaired in all different educational uh, settings as well as to look at how we can help them, you know, really become responsible, active members of society because very often, <laughs> Um, as Mark Reichert likes to say, I'm going to steal your quote, Mark, we, we're not just blind children anymore. So many of our kids have, they're not, you know, they've got multiple disabilities and we really have to look at the broad picture and help parents understand, you know, while your child may be on the autism spectrum, you really do need to pay attention to the 
blindness that may be genetic or the cortical visual impairment or whatever it happens to be. And we really need to work together to help that child grow and get the roots and become a strong plant and active member of society. So thank you. Thank you. So you brought along some key folks and we're going to get to Mark in a few minutes and he's really going to dive into Cogswell Macy. But you brought along a few folks. You mentioned Karen, Karen, who is the current president of New York and a mom and a fierce advocator. Uh, Donna Brown is here. Um, So why don't the two of you say hello and tell the folks a little about yourself before we dive into Mark. And Anthony, we do have a few more people, so we will definitely get to Mark. We're just so glad he's here. But we have another, a couple of other TVIs. And so let's, by all means, let's let um, Karen and Donna um, have their speech. But before we go to Mark, let's make sure that everyone is heard from because we've got some great people here. Okay, that's it it, for me. Thank you. (laughs) Karen, you're up. Hi. so I'm, I'm not really sure how long-winded you want me to be. Um, I do have a 17-year-old uh, son who uh, has retinitis pigmentosa, so he's losing his vision slowly. Um, we're at a um, steady decrease at this point. Um, but Michael was a student in the public school system, and I pulled him out. Um, he was in fourth grade and was still really struggling with reading. And the biggest um, challenge that there was in the public schools were the TBIs that my son was getting. Um, the first one, I, I, she had no idea how to teach a, a blind student and she was blind herself. So it was, it was rather concerning to me. Um, she was focusing more on things on how to position things on a plate and 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 stuff that my son really didn't need at the time and my son is is very high functioning um, where the academics were lacking so we we had her removed and I got another TVI who was great and my son started to read and he both print and braille everything was coming along nicely until we had to throw the technology piece in and this woman had no idea how to use a braille note. Um, it, it was just overall just really troubling to me that, you know, fourth grade going into fifth grade and he was still, you know, on a kindergarten, first grade reading level. Wow. Can't be successful unless we can read. Absolutely. So many of us know a lot of ACB New Yorkers who went to the New York State School for the Blind and Unfortunately, they have rules now that you have to have a secondary disability to, to attend. And um, I, I don't know if I wanna say luckily, but I guess luckily my son failed one of his tests that was the audio processing test. And that qualified him as having a secondary disability. Um, I gotta tell you, most fourth graders have an auditory processing disorder. Um, So it's kind of interesting. But things that I looked at at Batavia um, was the social interaction, of course, with his peers. And what the New York State School for the Blind did is they had the students going 
to the Batavia Middle School and High School, but all their support services were at the School for the Blind. So the integration was there at the time. Um, I was extremely comfortable with that situation because we know students that go to schools for the blind do have a little disadvantage that they're not really interacting with their peers, sighted peers. Um, it was working great. Um, my son went from not being able to read to being 100% regents. Um, he's a junior now, almost finished. Um, and he will be going to one of the universities after he graduates. Nice. So that's what the New York State School for the Blind did for my son. And everybody's situations and struggles are different, but advice I can give any parent, whether you're blind or sighted, know what's going on in the classrooms. Our blind students are put in um, smaller classes with kids with all kinds of disabilities. And it, it's not fair to the blind students. Our students, it's a very specialized disability. It's not a behavioral problem. It's not, you know, any of that, but yet they're mixed in with them. Karen, before you, before you, before we let you go, at least for a while, before questions come up, this is Debbie again. Could you spend like a couple of minutes just talking about a couple of your advocacy experience as a parent on behalf of your son? When my son was young and he'd come home crying that his TBI would yell at him, I thought he was not necessarily telling mom the truth until I went in and I listened outside a door. And you as parent have every right to yep. see what's going on in that school. And I physically heard it myself. Um, the second TVI that did not know how to work any of the equipment, I, I worked with the director of special ed and I asked her, you know, well, why can't they both, Michael and the TVI, be sent over to the Center for uh, Assistive Tech Technology together? So my son can learn, but the TVI needs to learn how to do this stuff too. Um, Another um, big way that has made a difference in the public school out here is the director of special ed at the time in choosing the TVIs that were coming from BOCES made them all go out to the New York State School for the Blind for some additional trainings. So it's really being involved on every level, right from the classroom up to the director of special ed to the TVIs that are coming from the BOCES programs. Well, Michael is very lucky to have such a fierce mom. Absolutely. Anthony, it's Lori. I would just like to say for people who don't know, school districts contract with BOCES, which is the, I always forget the acronym, Board of Educational Services, something, something. And so basically the school district is paying another agency to provide services at an extremely high price. And very often they're paying for each specific service. So if it's a teacher of the visually impaired, they're paying for the teacher of the visually impaired. Now right. that there is a certification in assistive technology, a lot of times BOCES may have a certified assistive technology specialist, but that person is supposed to work with the teachers. That doesn't help the child. So it, 
it really, like Karen said, it's so important to know where your services are coming from. And, you know, there is a shortage within the field of teachers of the visually impaired, but it doesn't mean that your child is not entitled to so many hours of service. And like, you know, like all nonprofits and disability um, advocacy programs, there's a lot of, of waste. There's a lot of, you know, cross pollination and the services don't necessarily streamline in a way that's, that's the most, the best, you know, the best practices for your individual, you know, your individual child. And so getting in there and learning where it all comes from, how it's all working and you as, as, as the parent of that child knows what's going to work and what will work best with your child. And you have every right to make sure that you get that. And if you don't know, there are places to go, such as the ACB website, for example, to get to have someone to talk with you. People are available to talk with parents, to try to lend you a hand and give guidance, not tell you what to do, but guide you. And Donna, who's going to speak next, Donna Brown, is a TVI, and she also taught assistive technology. So this is a great segue into what Miss Donna will have to say. Okay, <laughs> I was going to say that it was ironic that I followed Karen. <laughs> uh, so I, a little bit quickly about me, I uh, was a student at the Overbrook School for the Blind graduated and then went to college. And uh, I said I was going to take the teaching job wherever it was. And, and I did that and it was in West Virginia of all places. Um, and so I worked at the School for the Blind and for the state of West Virginia in various capacities for 37 years. Uh, just retired at the end of June during COVID last year. Um, so when I say various capacities, that ranges from elementary, second, third, fourth, fifth grade to Braille to even health and phys ed. And uh, I was a coordinator for their uh, workshop program for a couple of years. But the last few years while teaching at the School for the Blind, I was a technology integration specialist, which was a certification that I got in West Virginia. And to my knowledge, it was the only blind person to ever uh, attain that certification. It was a monster program. But anyway, um, so I primarily worked with the teachers at the School for the Blind on incorporating technology into their curriculum. But I did work with students that was my favorite part of it, was teaching students how to use the technology, um, the note takers, JAWS, Zoom text, you know, whatever. Um, but then my last three years uh, working, I was a technology specialist for the state of West Virginia. That was a, well, quote unquote, an eye opener for me um, in, in a lot of ways. But before that, um, at the School for the Blind, and I, I would say it was maybe about 10 years ago, uh, we started a short course program and we um, sort of patterned our model uh, to the one that was at that time, I don't know if it still is, at the Indiana School for the Blind, uh, where the students out in the public schools and in West Virginia, the public school system is set up by counties. We, we don't really have school districts, it's all county based. Uh, so the students out in the different county schools uh, would come to the School for the Blind for one week a month, and they would work on their schoolwork, but then they would also be integrated when appropriate into our classes, 
and I always got every student that came to short course for technology. Um, and in some cases, Braille, if the Braille teacher was not available, but um, I, I always got every student for technology. Well, um, when I say it was an eye opener, I, and this kind of ties into Karen's, um, most of the students had no technology skills, not only, you know, those who were blind using the note takers, uh, no keyboarding, some school districts said, and, you know, I, I, who knows, um, they didn't have the money to purchase, you know, the note, Braille notes at the time. That was kind of the big thing was the Braille notes. And so anyway, while they were at our school, they they couldn't take it with them, but they were given a Braille note to use if, if it applied to them. They were given a Braille note to use. And it was amazing with just some intense instruction for five days out of a month what those kids could learn. And I kept thinking, oh, my gosh, if they had this in their hands all the time, I mean, they'd be teaching me eventually. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and then um, on to the keyboarding thing. That was a little different. We, we would really make progress while we while they were there with keyboarding and using JAWS and or Zoom text or whichever was necessary. Um, but because they didn't have the opportunity to work on that while while they were back in their counties for those other three weeks out of the month, we didn't maybe necessarily have to start over when they got back. But it was like you took you know two steps forward and one step back. Yeah, um, that was a little harder because that just needed some almost daily practice or at least a few times a week. Uh, so when I took on this technology specialist for the state of West Virginia, I um, actually worked out of our instructional resource center. And that's where, you know, the, the place where the teachers get books and, and the other materials that students needed. Um, and so I kind of really had to, to build the program. Somebody was in it before me, but I kind of took it on a whole different direction. And, and I traveled a good bit, especially early on out into the counties. And at first my supervisor was telling me that, no, I'm supposed to only work with the teachers. Well, you know, when I did that a time or two and I thought, wait a minute, this is not. And so I sort of stood up to her and I said, uh, I need to be working with the teachers and their students at, at the same time. I, I said, because they, kind of need to see how to teach it. It's one thing sometimes to learn some of these things, but then, then to actually teach it to a student. Um, I could ramble all day and, and I don't want to, but um, anyway, that model or whatever seemed to, to work um, better. And so I organized um, throughout the state different like Saturday training schools for, and, and I always said, teachers bring your students. And, and most of them did. It, it took a little bit, you know, of working, but um, so now, um, you know, most of the students out in, in the West Virginia County schools who needed, you know, note, note takers and, and JAWS and stuff, they have it. But back to the special ed directors, I had to build a relationship with the special ed directors too, not just the TVIs, not just the parents, not just the students. Um, the special ed director was a, a real important part of the whole process of obtaining the equipment. Um, and then also working with the other 
teachers that the student had, the regular ed teachers. Um, so lots of times at the beginning of the school year, and we started to do that on Zoom because it, it was just easier to get all their teachers together at one time, you know, at 7.30 in the morning. I really didn't want to be, you know, four hours away and have to be there at 7.30 in the morning. So <laughs> I did it from my office, and that's where Zoom came in. And I met with the regular um, ed teachers at the beginning of the school year, and we talked about how they would you know, do their work, how they would, would turn in assignments and how they would um, complete their homework and, and take tests. And, and, and I also encouraged expectations, you know, for their students, but, but then I told them how they needed to provide the work for the students and, you know, the TVI could help, but with technology, they could do some of it themselves to decrease some of the load on the TVI. So anyway, I've rambled. And thank you for the well, opportunity. Absolutely. I was wondering if I could pose to you um, a three-part. Some, uh, a teacher, a student, and a, you know, a higher facilitator or something. Three quick advocacy, advocacy stories that have really inspired you. Of course, we don't, we're not going to ask you to name any names. But, you know, from those three perspectives, three situations that really inspired you and showed great accomplishment. Uh, probably the, the one that, sticks out the, the most in my mind was when this short course program started and there was a very, very high, a gifted student, totally blind, who came from a county and knew nothing of any kind of technology. Was it a decent reader? I can't say real fast, but, you know, but because she was so smart, it, you know, she, she got along pretty well. Um, in the blank, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the cool thing was um, I put that piece of technology that at that time it was a Braille note apex into her hands. We, um, you know, practice. I, I had a, a document on there that she would read and then we edited it. And anyway, um, she took with took it and went back to her TVI and said, I have to have one of these. Um, I mean, she didn't take the device with her, but she she said, I have to have one one of these to to help me with, you know, do my schoolwork easier. So that was really a cool story. And eventually her TVI now, I think, is one of the best TVIs in, in the nation, <laughs> um, you know, jumped right on the bandwagon and, and, you know, and then the county got it for her and she became quite a power user. Uh, with Anthony, well, I, I think um, I think another wonderful person to continue on your questions because they are excellent ones is sure. a TVI who now works in a school for the blind, the school for the blind in Kentucky, and she um, she I will have all kinds of wonderful stories. So, Pam, why don't you step up to the mic as they say and talk <laughs> with us a bit? Hi, thank Welcome you so much. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you so much. I really, it's a joy to be here. And thank you, Debbie, for thinking of me. Um, Anthony, just bless you. This is a wonderful program. And I have to, oh, Karen and Donna, I so much enjoyed hearing your stories. And oh, Donna, girl, you have got it going on with that technology. That... <laughs> That's what we need. One of when I was in the TBI program, our professors used to say, never impose your weaknesses on your students. 
And I never forgot that. And I see it happen a lot, unfortunately. For instance, you have a sighted teacher teaching Braille and they prejudice the children against interpoint. Interpoint being where you have Braille on both sides of the page because visually it looks a little confusing because you see those those holes from the dots coming through. Interpoint is no problem to a blind child, but I've seen them get petrified about interpoint. Oh, I can't read interpoint. I can't read that. Says who? Oh, my Braille teacher said, yeah, oh, well, let's don't do that. And I will put it right out there. In my ideal world, I would still, everybody would still be using a Perkins Braille writer and hard copy books. That's what I grew up with. That's my comfort level, but that's not fair. I'm now teaching Braille at the Kentucky School for the Blind and technology these days is where it's at. And I have to stay on board with that and do my best to keep filling in those gaps that I have. And it's amazing if you put your heart into something, how much you can learn in a very, Uh very short period of time. Thank goodness. So um, we've been talking about note takers, which are great. Another option that I want to just put out there, which is not as expensive and also has some great advantages for some students. And we just have to look at every every case is different and each student changes they don't necessarily need the same thing now as they will next year you have to watch their vision level their maturity their how well their other disabilities have been you know compensated for all these different things but it what what works well for a lot of students is to use a braille display with either their phone or an ipad one type of student that works really well for is students who have some vision they don't resist Braille as much if you can let them still use their, the vision they have for their eye device or, or whatever it is they're using, so, you know, equivalent of like a tablet or, or that thing. And they're reading Braille at the same time. And some of them, it actually really reinforces their learning because they're getting it with their eyes and their fingers. So, and, and it's not, not nearly as expensive. So sometimes, you know, we always have the problem about money and, that's just another option. Also in VDA, I just want to put out there is the price is right. It is free. And I have, that's, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that's what I now use myself at home. And I find it, it's very intuitive. And I find most things it does at least as well as JAWS. Some things it does better. It's more intuitive on certain websites. So what to say in a short, I, I think another you know, weakness. Uh, yes. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, please. Tell us a couple stories uh, because you've got some lovely stories. Yeah. Stories. And, and in uh-huh. there also, could you give us a, a brief um, path to becoming a TVI? You know, what was it like for you? Sure. Well, I already, I went, I just going backtracking a little bit. I went to the, the Tennessee School for the Blind through the 10th grade and then public school for two years which for me was wonderful because at that time it was before mainstreaming had taken off schools for the blind take, they had bigger populations. They had um, a lot more isolated, strictly isolated. They, they had big, they, yeah, well, they they had bigger populations. They had a lot more to offer in the sense of like really good sports programs because they had more students, you know, and, and they, so I got, the best of both worlds. I got really good training at the school for the blind. Then when I went to public school, I had an excellent experience there. 
um, with caring, motivated teachers and a good, a good county resource center. And so, but then I went to college, I got a master's in English and I taught college for a while, which I did enjoy. But then I, st I started substituting at Tennessee school and I just, my heart started pulling me back toward schools for the blind. And I, I worked as an substitute and assistant. And then I went back, I did an online TVI program and through the University of Kentucky. And again, got very lucky, had two wonderful professors and they um, were so good at putting, like had a course on the anatomy of the eye. Well, he, one of the professors made all kinds of, like he, he made a model of an eye. He, he figured out even um, how I could do an eye assessment for, a, you know, for a, an FVLMA, a functional vision learning reading assessment. I can actually do an eye assessment on a child um, almost totally independently with, um, he showed me how to put marks on the eye chart, how to work with their visual field. So that was really amazing. Wow. But this was a two-year program and I, I did get to test out of Braille which I would have been rather upset if I didn't. I mean, after having done it since I was six years old, they graciously didn't force me to take Braille. And so then it had a student teaching component um, called a practicum. And they had us teach in preschool, elementary, and middle and high. So we did it all, which was great for the experience. Did I answer your question about you the did. program? So you did so, Debbie. Like Debbie said, um, tell us a couple of inspiring stories that you've you've been a part of with students, you know, but not uh -huh. mentioning their name, not mentioning right. their name. Have right. I put you on the spot? Not at all. No, I was just trying okay. to think of, of. Well, I'll I'll start with with one. It's a student who has who has autism, I would say started out not high functioning. And some people, I think, wanted to put him in a little bit of a box as far as can do this, can't do that, which is something we really have to watch out for. Labels yeah. can be extremely helpful because they get you the right kind of help, but they can also be very limiting if we don't watch it. And this student is one who had a mom sounds like she's a kindred spirit of Karen here and she really did a lot of fighting for him to be and also did intense she and her and his dad did intense work with him at home which is super important you know parents can't just expect the school to yep. do everything they have they, they just can't for a lot of reasons it has to be reinforced at home a lot of work ethic and good habits and organization need to be taught at home also, as well as school. But this student has went from basically only being able to, to say certain kinds of information that was already in his head, has blossomed with the help and with his own determination to the point where he... Uh, it's like light bulb after light bulb has gone on. Now he's a senior and he is an extremely good 
braille reader went from the point where maybe two years ago he if he lost his place that the, the game was over uh, i mean it, it, if you put his you know they put his hand on the page and then he could read the line now he can find his place in a book he can and and he's hopefully with if everything works right is going to become a professional braille proofreader um which is a, a wonderful career for for certain people who are blind so he between among him his parents and good dedicated teachers really everybody working together which is what it takes he is thriving and succeeding and has other options he, he's also um do, he's a good keyboarder he has been given really good technology training and he may be he may do a data entry job in, in addition to the proofreading or before it so that's a good story and i, I just want to stress it's good not to just throw kids in one niche. I mean, we see something they're good at, and yes, it's wonderful to focus on that and develop that, but people need yeah. to be well-rounded too for a lot of reasons. Sometimes things just don't work out or they don't work out at the time, but we need to encourage them to, to be open to trying different avenues. So I'm wondering if I could put you on the spot one more time. Um, Go I for it. From from the autism world backgrounds, um, early intervention and some ABA stuff. Um, and you spoke about parents. So mm -hmm. can we flip the coin to the other side? And, you know, from your, your experience as a professional, when you don't, when the, the kid doesn't have the parental support, you know, what can professionals, you know, what can the TVIs and, and the other professionals around them do? to either inspire some some more parental involvement or to work around um, parents that, that are more obstacle than, than advocate? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, excellent question. As far as inspiring, I think being, being positive, telling parents something wonderful that, that you've noticed about their child because sometimes I think they just get kind of numbed out it's like I'll just throw them in yeah. school you know I don't know how to deal with this if you tell them look I see I mean something they wouldn't have even thought about I mean they probably they might know their kids good at playing the piano I mean and and that's great I'm not putting that's wonderful but sometimes you know he's so good at the piano so good at the piano well tell them something that they might not know or they might not have noticed that you've noticed about this this child and ask them questions get them involved in it if it's just not successful sometimes these kids these days they're moved around from house to house to house they live in chaos and sometimes it really is in spite of the home situation that you have to do things i think just teachers consulting which is again something I personally just don't like but I have to come I, I like it just being me and the student well that doesn't work in this world we have to consult because some people will see something and notice something that nobody else noticed so having my school is really good at having the the PLCs the professional learning I think the C's there's so much alphabets so I think it's <laughs> yeah. community or committee or com, com, I don't know constabulation but anyway we have those once a week and, and we discuss not in a gossipy way at all which is one reason I resisted I thought let's hear and talk about these kids but it's very very helpful because people will bring up problems that they've noticed and how they overcame them and this includes the orientation and mobility teacher 
the technology teacher and the, the classroom teachers of different subjects, the, you know, the speech language um, pathologist, the, everybody just works together and trying to notice this child's strengths and how can we, how can we overcome the problems that the student has to really play to those strengths. Thank you. I, I found also in the autism world, a lot of times siblings were a, a, a tremendous resource, um, both for yes. knowledge and, and, you know, reinforcement. Yes. So thank you. Yeah, Stick thank around for questions. Yes, Debbie. I was going to ask it's you. Lori. I was just going to oh. say something, something as simple as letting a parent know that their child made eye contact three times today yeah. is like a yes. huge thing. And parents will tell you, oh, my kid can't make eye contact. No, your child can. It's just helping them to realize how to reinforce it. I was working at the Brooklyn School for Special Children for a while, and we had a student who never spoke, period. Um, and we started using the Barney cleanup song, and maybe about a week in, all of a sudden, softly singing. And that turned mm. that parent, you know, that, that set of parents into the fiercest of advocates, because once that dam was broken, they suddenly realized, okay, you know, there, this can happen. I, my child will be able to navigate and get through the world. It's just going to be a harder and a more difficult, you know, in a, a different process. Debbie, wow. who's up next? Um, Pam, is Gina with us? I think so. Gina, yeah, are you here? Can you unmute if you're here? She just left, according to the. Okay. Um, okay. Why did she do that? Okay. Let me, let um, me text her. Is, is Andy here? Andy, Tom? All right. Then I think um, while we're waiting for these people to come, um, we'll I think it might. Mr. Mark? Yeah, we're going to move to Mr. Mark in just a few minutes, a couple of minutes here. What okay. I, what, what I would like, what I'd like to do is to find out from the people who have spoken after they've, are there any thoughts that if they're not asked something they really want to get across to everybody here and now because we're going to go to mark in a couple of minutes here and andy's here debbie okay um okay hi andy, andy welcome would to you Sunday like edition. To, um, would you like to do, are there a couple things you would like to say put in the put in the stew so to speak um yeah i guess i can hello everybody i'm Andy Tom. And, introdu and introduce yourself. Tell us who yeah. you are and what you do. And then talk to us for a minute. I am a teacher at the California School for the Blind. Um, I'm a, a classroom teacher for a middle school, a group of middle school boys. Uh, it just happened to all be boys this year. Um, and uh, they are the, uh, we call it the functional academic group. So they're not on the diploma track, but we do um, all the academic subjects as well as, as, well as um, PC and life skills and stuff like that, um, which has been awfully a lot harder to do this year. Uh, some of those life skills uh, stuff since we've been in distance learning all year, um, but it has definitely been a learning experience for my students and for myself and, um, I was I was trying to think of a good story from this year that you know really just just really stood out to me and um, one one thing that I've really been proud of of my students this year is um, and, and and a lot of people have really touched on how important this is but uh, but their their growth in technology um, you know in the classroom we weren't using technology as much as we could have been and should have been. 
Um, and with distance learning, of course, all of my students are using it every day and just growing in their technology skills um, in, in so many different ways, all of them at, at their own pace, but they all are uh, learning so many skills this year. And just the, the story that really stood out to me with this, this growth in their technology was when um, at some point during the school year, I was assessing a student just, just by asking them questions about technology. How do you do this? Can you show me how you do that? How do you do that? And I had the parent um, in the room with the student to, to help make sure that we were finding all the keys on the keyboard and everything. And um, just that I can confirm what was going on on their end since I couldn't see the actual, like what, what the student was pressing. You know, of course I could see the screen, but not um, what the student was physically pressing. And to hear the, the parents surprise and just like and their excitement that their yeah. student had all of this knowledge that I don't even think the parent knew their child could do that and and it started to make sense to me you know we are we are a residential school and so the parents I've, I've thought about it more and, and the parents don't get to see a lot of what their students are doing what if the student is only home um you know Saturday and, and part of Sunday you know they get home Friday night and come back to us on Sunday night um yeah. but it was just a great experience to to see that, to see the growth and what my student could do on his own and to hear the parents' excitement and what they were realizing their, their son was capable of on their own with technology. It was really great. Thank you, Andy. Anybody got any anything you really wanna impart before we let the um, intrepid and inimitable Mark Riker talk to us about Cogswell Macy? Anything anybody wanna share? I guess what I want to share is that there is so much opportunity. And I think the things that people have said about showing positivity to parents and understanding when something can work and when it can't. And uh, I just think that there is so much untapped power and opportunity out there. And that's why it is so important that we as blind people who may not have taken an education course in our whole lives, but we know about being blind, we know about living. And sometimes in public schools, children don't have really significant blind role models. And so Pam tells all kinds of stories about how her students, they, they really believe her and listen to her. And she, she has abilities to get them to move forward because they can't look at her and say, you're not blind, you don't understand. So yeah. I, guess, I guess what I wanna share is if anybody out there wants to lend a helping hand to mentor, to help, to listen, please, if you get the opportunity to do it. Anybody else before we turn on Mark? Well, no? I, I'm gonna step up and, and just say also that I think, you know, as we highlight successes in our community and as we keep to keep pointing out the things, you know, not necessarily the, the paths that, the traditional paths, but those of us that are breaking the molds and those of us that are that are really doing things that that are off the beaten track are also really inspiring for for the younger kids to look and see, you know, I, you know, I just I just read an article about a blind person who um, climbed Mount Everest, you know, with with a group, of course, but I mean, who who as a as a blind child would, would think to themselves that they could ever reach the pinnacle of Mount Everest. You know, it's things like that that I think inspire and, and shatter those those walls and ceilings that tell us we can only do these few things in life. We can only go on these few paths. And 
And so it, 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 it dulls down the, the inspiration and the excitement to want to be in the world, to want to, you know, drink in as much of the world as possible. So that is my little piece. Um, and yeah, let's, before we go to Mark, any, any other comments? Well then, Mr. Riker, please step up. Um, I think it would be fair to call you the big daddy of Cogswell Macy. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you say, Debbie, that would be fair, right? Oh, she it might would be you. fair. It, I just muted myself, but it would be fair. Mark, have at it. It's a well-deserved title. It is, and this is so important. Make it real to folks. Make them, make them sense it and feel it. We know you can. You're on. So, You're so, on, Mark. So, so, thanks. So, so, so two prelude uh, comment. Number one, when you say the, the big daddy, all of a sudden I'm feeling uh, my, my, my belt feel a little tighter. Clearly I'm going to have to go back on Atkins or something. I'd, I'd, I'd rather be the... I'd rather be the bantamweight daddy than the big daddy, I suppose. But uh, glad, glad to be the 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 uh, the what the principal catalyst for the Coswell Macy thing. I'd be a liar if I told you it wasn't one of the things I've been most proud of professionally. Um, lots of things I've had opportunity to be a partner with others on, uh, and uh, and and in some instances to kind of take the lead on. But this has been one of those things from a legislative, federal legislative point of view. Uh, I've been able to sort of be there right from the. The proverbial get-go and uh it is just i'm so grateful uh to have had that opportunity and then the second thing i'll say by way of prelude is a couple of times the word intrepid has been used to describe me i just want to go on the record since we are on the record that uh sometimes even the intrepid people can once in a while be trepid uh and uh <laughs> and i and i think uh parents of blind kiddos especially those who are new parents right maybe the kid you you you've given birth to was the first blind individual let alone person with a disability that you've ever met uh and i would imagine uh that uh that that can certainly be a challenge i mean you love your baby always will uh but boy oh boy boy uh there are tons of frustrations out there and uh, you never regret having that child but boy you might regret especially from time to time what in the world have we gotten ourselves into how do we get out of this how do we make it better and to say nothing, I mean, you know, be, be, being being the child of a parent, uh, I know all too well uh, what those frustrations look like from being the outsider, namely the kiddo. Uh, and uh, and so one can only imagine a precious mom or dad's heart uh, as they are trying to navigate these things. So uh, with all of my heart, God bless you. Um, so one of the Great fun point, things, Mark. thank you. One of the fun things about being a policy nerd is that every once in a while when you get your piece of legislation introduced, which we just did, we had the Coswell Macy bill reintroduced here in the last two weeks, which is amazing. So in this current Congress, which is the 117th Congress, uh, now we have a brand new set of House and Senate Coswell Macy bills. I'll say, of course, more about that in a second. Uh, but one of the fun things is that when those bills get reintroduced, often the champions you've recruited on Capitol Hill to help carry the water for you will say, hey, we, we, uh, you know, we're going to put a press release together, and we'd love for you to, uh, to give us a quote. Uh, you, know, you, you were one of the people helping to make all this happen there, advocate. Uh, give us a quote. So the press release that went out uh, from Senator Ed Markey from Massachusetts, uh, who's, of course, a, I mean, there's no words to describe his uh, championing of causes for 
uh, folks, especially those of us in ACB, but frankly, for all folks with sensory disabilities, all people with disabilities, frankly. Uh, one of the things that Ed Markey's office, uh, when they put that press release together, you know, they had about five or six organizations get their quote, uh, quotes in there. So yours truly had the temerity to offer a quote of my own. I can't read it for you verbatim, but I'll do my best. And I think this is what will set up everything else that I'm going to have to say about Cogswell Macy for you in a nutshell. And my quote was something like this. Uh, so yours truly is currently serving as the executive director of the professional association in our field, AER, which long name stands for the Association for Education and Rehabilitation of the Blind and Visually Impaired. Uh, and our standard joke is that's why we call it AER because uh, it's such a long name. But uh, in AER, easily the majority of our membership is comprised of teachers and students with vision impairments or TVIs. And so my quote went something like, you know, it is wryly observed by the teachers who make up our membership that uh, Annie Sullivan, of course, Annie Sullivan would be a miracle worker because she only had a caseload of one, namely Helen Keller. And yet, uh, while we know uh, that uh, miracles may be real, it does not take a miracle to educate students who are blind, deaf, or deafblind, and particularly those who have other disabilities. What it really, really fundamentally takes, more than anything else, is a national state and district level uncompromising commitment to each child's God-given individuality. And if we do that, just adhering to that principle and moving forward with that, that's how we're going to transform education systematically. And it's how we're going to change education individually for each kiddo. And that overarching sort of value is what drove uh, my uh, passion when I first put together the blindness provisions of the Alice Cogswell and Ann Sullivan Macy Act, Alice Cogswell being the first deaf girl to be formally educated in the U.S. and of course Annie Sullivan being Helen Keller's teacher. And, uh, and then, you know, as the sort of movement started to grow, of course, we have, we've always known that we have so much commonality between the blindness world and our friends in the deafness and deaf blindness worlds. And the point's already been made today that in each and every one of those three uh, communities, you know, the good chunk, if not the majority of the kiddos who make up each of those communities are kids who have those sensory disabilities in addition to an array of other disabilities, including some disabilities that, you know, relatively speaking, may even be more uh, profound or involved or complex uh, than the than the sensory disability or that functionality that they may be experiencing there, so we then worked with the deafness and deaf blindness communities. If you had a copy of the Cogswell Macy bill on your lap or in your favorite gizmo, you uh, would see there are three titles or three main sections of that thing. Uh, as it just as fate would have it, the blindness portion is title two. And uh, if you were to read it, what you'd find is, good grief, most of this stuff is kind of redundant in here. Uh, you read the deaf provisions, and they look an awful lot like the blind provisions, which sure as all heck look a lot like the deaf blindness provisions, and you'd be right. Uh, th there are so many parallels. You know, the principal sort of things that are parallel across those groups are uh, all of us, blindness, deaf, does deaf blindness, if you had a kiddo who's experiencing one of those sensory disabilities, uh, they may very well uh, have, that may very well be their only uh, 
disability that they experience, but the, in most cases, it's not. And what ends, ends up happening is that even, you know, in spite of the best intentions, bureaucracy will take over and the label that's hung around that kiddo's neck uh, drives illegally, but drives nevertheless uh, the array of <clears throat> services that that child receives, the evaluations or lack of evaluations that are provided to that child in order to get those services in the first place, and fundamentally how that child is identified. So more often than not, blind, visually impaired kids who may have additional disabilities, you're not going to see them with a blindness label around their neck. You're going to see a multiple disabilities label. You're going to see a maybe other health impairments label, any number of uh, developmental and intellectual development disabilities labels, those kind of learning disabilities. There could be any number of other things that end up being sort of the primary label. Well, there's a lot of reasons for that. One of the fundamental challenges that we have in a, in a, in a wonderful country called America is that uh, in spite of what we may think about how big or how small, depending on your political philosophy, the federal government is we really do rely on states uh, significantly, if not in a primary way, to be the frontline providers and drivers of what education is going to look like in this state or that state. So we, we've resolved in the Cogswell-Macy bill to say, you know what, states, we recognize that, we respect that states are on the front line, that the federal role is to support that provision of a free and appropriate public education with dollars, as well as some overarching guidelines about how our federal tax dollars are to be used, but you're on the front lines with it. So we're not going to come in and boss you around and tell you what to do in a you know uh, fundamental or overly aggressive way. But for heaven's sake, you will, once the Coswell-Macy bill is passed, you will at a minimum not continue the practice of allowing labels, whatever label you happen to give a particular kiddo, to drive the provision or the failure to provide services that whatever labels are used maybe you have to use those states in order to or school districts in order to get the money that you think you need from the federal government but by golly what you're going to do if blindness or deafness or deaf blindness is in the mix regardless of what the primary disability label may be if that sensory disabilities issue is even sort of you know it, you can even you can sort of smell it uh, that kiddo and uh, is going to be entitled to the full array of evaluations for how to meet that child's blindness and vision impairment needs, and upon proper evaluation, uh, if the valid uh, indicates so to do, uh, then thou shalt uh, provide those blindness-specific services, and not just Braille for as uncompromisingly indispensable as Braille is. Uh, we make, need to make sure that the full array of services that are uh, are intended for kids with vision loss are provided. Academically, we refer to that, we refer to that as the expanded core curriculum, which is a what, a $1.98 uh, 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 know, term of art that essentially tries to summarize everything that a TVI or an O&M instructor or folks in the vision rehab world uh, make available, the full array of services. Uh, we can talk more about that if there are questions. I would just say, the whole point here is that first and foremost in the Coswell Macy bill, every kiddo with a sensory disabilities needs to have those sensory disabilities needs acknowledged, uh, evaluated, and addressed through services that are specialized to that sensory disability issue. And we're so if the Coswell Macy bill became law tomorrow, that would be what would happen. That we don't, we're not acknowledge, we're not 
uh, what giving get, wrinkling our nose at those kids who may have other issues certainly not at all if there are health troubles that are in play or there are other of course those too need to be addressed but gone will be the days when those primary labels will either drive or frankly uh, be the cause for the denial of proper evaluation and services the second big thing of course is evaluation so we let's just say let's assume that we have that whole thing about uh you know lumping kiddos into categories that thwart uh their access to the services they need let's say we've sort, sorted that out the dream has come true alice cogswell and selva macy act is doing what it was intended to do what are the evaluations that are needed for a blind and visually impaired child and those uh array of services and evaluations are spelled out uh it, to the extent you can uh detail things in a federal law you know again in this country we tend to make sure that the the more detailed or more particular the thing is that you want to do the lower down in the sort of ladder right the legal ladder you have to go when you're at that top rung of the ladder in this case federal legislation you have to sort of paint in broad strokes while nevertheless trying to zero in on the problem and then i suppose the third major thing is that whatever you're talking about let's say you've got all the children are being properly identified. They have been properly evaluated and served. Well, then we need to make sure that that actually happens. Uh, believe it or not, right now, even though uh, blind and visually impaired kids arguably have the strongest legal protection for a service that is absolutely critical for them, namely instruction and use in Braille, if you go to the U.S. Department of Education and ask them, so, uh, hey, uh, we've got this almost absolute uh, requirement that Braille be provided, and yet, uh, you know, tell us how many kids, you know, you, 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 Department of Ed, have an obligation to monitor states and school districts for making it happen. Uh, how many kids are, are, are getting Braille? And by the way, more importantly, I suppose, uh, if they are being denied Braille, given how strong that requirement is, uh, let's, let's see your analysis of how IEP teams have come to that conclusion. And you know what? They can't tell you. Uh, they can't tell you even the most basic answers to those questions. Because the department does not require anything like the kind of, you know, uh, give us your testimony states and districts like we would want them to. And, uh, you know, time is our enemy here. I know we got to move it along. Suffice it to say, there's a lot of other uh, provisions in Coxwell Macy along these lines that really try to say enough of this business of just making these grand statements about what is required or what should be provided to kids. Let's make sure they actually do it. And if we're going to spend what we're doing right now, I think it's about 12 billion, billion with a B, 12 billion dollars at the federal level to support what states and districts are doing. Let's make sure that our tax dollars are being used the way we said that they should be. So Department of Ed, uh, get off your bum uh, and uh, let's uh, let's let's make that happen. There are some particulars uh, that are you know things that are in the Coswell Macy bill that are specific to the blindness world that aren't uh, necessarily as relevant or uh, as connected, let's say, uh, uh, to, to the deafness and deafblindness spaces. In the blind world, one of the provisions specific to us is that we want to see the creation of something called the Ann Sullivan Macy Center on uh, uh, vision, Visual Disability and Educational Excellence. And the whole point, it's not another building. It's not a replacement for APH or Perkins or pick your favorite organization. It is, in fact, a collaborative project, a collaborative initiative that would be sort of, you know, uh, funded and pushed along, overseen 
by the U.S. Department of Education to bring relevant universities, nonprofits, certainly schools, uh, together to uh, fund research because anybody who knows anything about blindness and vision impairment knows we have a profound lack of research that helps us make all of the arguments that we know to be true. So for sure, we want to uh, amp up our investment in research, uh, but also then to have the, this Macy's Center help to drive the uh, development and implementation uh, deployment of, of innovative practices. I'm going to give you one example. This is maybe a poor one only because the, the core notion of this maybe has been around forever. A lot of schools for the blind, for instance, uh, will do uh, short course kinds of things, or even summer camp-like uh, exercises. But what we've never really done in any organized field-wide way is to say, let's really get a sense of, of those practices, of those, those cool programs out there, which ones really work, which ones really work well. Uh, is, is two weeks enough to help to teach independent living skills, or is it a summer program? Are there ways in which we can better integrate academics with uh, all of those sort of life skills, the so-called expanded core curriculum. And so if that's just one example of being able to say somebody somewhere, and it can't be housed in just one of our favorite organizations, it really needs to be a collaborative effort, needs to get together, pool resources, and look into the more innovative practices. In the COVID world, one of those innovative practices absolutely should be a real thorough study of how to best deliver services remotely. It's such a hot topic these days. Some people are doing it really well. I think there's no question just sort of anecdotally or, uh, you know, narratively speaking, we know that there's some exciting stuff going on. But then to really refine that a bit and say, okay, among the many things that a blind and visually impaired child needs to learn, what are the things that can be optimized in a virtual setting? What are those things that most assuredly cannot if there are not uh, some of those uh, services that must not or better not be provided uh, remotely? And let's do some research. Let's get some hardcore findings uh, in place. In the deafness and deafblindness worlds, it's not necessarily our focus, though. Of course, we care about them just as much as we care about blind and vision impaired kiddos. In the deafness space, of course, you're going to find in the Cogswell maze be a lot of uh, questions or issues around communication skills and how to best just, uh, make those happen. And in the deafblindness thing, there's probably nothing more at the heart of the uh, on the hearts of advocates in the deafblindness world than to try to promote the use of the profession uh, called uh, the uh, in, in, you know interveners, the, the, the professionals known as interveners to provide that direct one-on-one -on -one service to a deafblind child to enable that child to thrive in whatever environment that they're in. I'll wrap it up by saying, we've talked a couple of times here today about schools for the blind and their role. And uh, you know all I can say to that is amen. I will say that because the overwhelming majority of kids who have sensory disabilities, certainly it's true in blindness for sure, uh, are being educated not at schools for the blind, certainly not in residential programs. Easily, uh, some people have estimated you're talking about 90% uh, of kids. We don't need to have the philosophical argument right now about, you know, do schools isolate kiddos or are they segregated environments? I happen to think that they are not. But I will tell you by way, just to kind of put it out there, several years ago, many number of years ago, the Association of Schools for the Blind uh, called, ironically enough, the Council of Schools for the Blind, or COSBY decided that they were going to sort of do a rebranding and do a little bit of a name change. It wasn't a much, you might have not necessarily noticed it because it's kind of subtle, but I think it's an important name change. They changed that association of schools 
to the Council of Schools and Services for the Blind. So if even though it's true that maybe 10% of blind vision impaired kiddos are, you know, quote unquote, per se, uh, you know, uh, being served at schools for the blind primarily, and 90% are not, nevertheless, even that 90% of, of kiddos are more and more being served, perhaps indirectly, but nevertheless, crucially, by schools for the blind who are there providing the kinds of services that, sadly, a lot of states and school districts are simply failing to do. And yeah. so uh, whatever we might say about the role of schools, I just want to make sure that we're acknowledging that, that we can't be in a situation where it, it's not an either or. Uh, it's an and. And it's also important to know that those schools, even if the kiddo's not sleeping overnight there in a dorm, uh, that uh, those kids are benefiting from it. With that, uh, over to you all. Mark, so, um, this gonna... is Debbie. Oh. Anthony, right, before we do questions, before we do questions, Mark, um, if we wanted to um, contact our Congress people and tell them why we are seeking their support for this law, could you give us, like, we want to make this real to them. So we're not going to be talking, you know, education talk. We're going to be talking realistically. Tell us the components in, in like real simple but profound sentences, the components of the act that we could talk about that would make, given the fact that Congress people love stories and love humanities and love to think about a face and a voice of somebody they've met, tell us how you think we might make our Congress people sit up and take notice and say, man, this is something I really need to support. Yeah, I love this question because it helps to Ah, connect up with what you know parents immediate situation right now Uh, i would be a liar if i told you that let's say like everyone dropped everything mr biden dropped everything the congress dropped everything. everyone got together and said you know what we have no higher priority than to get this thing called coswell macy done let's get it done this week and i want to sign it this week i mean crazy idea but but you know let's assume that that were to happen does that mean that your child is going to benefit from the Coswell Macy bill this year or maybe even no. next year? Probably not uh, because, because the wheels of justice, if they move at all, grind terribly slowly. So I, 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 wanna, I don't want to – while I want people to be enthusiastic about the bill, I want to make sure people understand that when one does advocacy, generally speaking, but certainly in this case, it's no different. You're making an investment in the future for all kids just like yours. So then you say, well, gee whiz, Mark, thanks so much. Uh, I'm too busy. I don't have to. You know, that's lovely. I'm glad, you, by the way, that you're doing it. Uh, I've got other things i got to worry about, namely my kiddo, because we're, we're kind of at a crisis point here. You know what? You can still help because what you ought to do is reach out, as Debbie is suggesting, reach out to your senators, your two senators, your House member. And I don't want to dictate a letter to you right now, but if I were – writing it uh, i would it would say something like this you know dear sir dear ma'am this is my name i'm your constituent uh i'm urging you to uh co-sponsor the alice coswell and sullivan macy act which will transform educational services to all kids with sensory disabilities including my child fill in your child's name let me tell you why this is so critical and you know what don't worry about any of the stuff that I just spent far, probably far too long a moment ago telling you about the bill. That's your pivot at that point to unload on your that member of Congress story. whatever yeah. your story is about. 
Yeah. And when you're done with that story, because I guarantee you, and we've already heard it today on the phone, every last one of the, the folks, the professionals and the parents and all of them spoken, every last one of you, I mean, I can connect the dots, I mean, uh, for you, but you, you've already done it. Everything that you've talked about would be touched in some fashion by this new bill. So tell your story, whatever it is. And then at the end, it's simply a sentence that says, again, you know, anything that you can do to help me with my son, daughter, I would sure appreciate, which is why, again, I hope you will co-sponsor the Causal Macy bill. And I'll be in touch with you very soon to see if you have, okay? And then, but now here's the punchline. After your name, then you have a little thing that's your CC field. So now the letter is going to, right, you're doing this by email probably, but your letter is going to two senators, to a House member, but the CC field is going to the administrators at your school, maybe yep. even the state education director, whomever, and frankly, just about anyone and their brother and sister who has, who you can find, who has a direct or perhaps less tangible, but nevertheless bureaucratic or administrative role Thank to play, you. in, Right. Because yep. and make sure they get a copy, because what they're going to see is that you who have just sent this letter. Yeah, you're asking for some bill to be done. They're not going to those people aren't going to tremble at the fact you're asking for a co-sponsorship, but they sure as heck are going to see. Oh, my gosh. So and so you, the parent who just did the, this. This person's a troublemaker. This is a wave maker. Wow. They're starting to involve politicians. God, God the last thing we want are politicians screwing around with this child and, and rocking the boat for us. I guess we had better start to work more closely with this parent on figuring out how in the heck we can make them happy. So that's my practical advice. So, so in addition, we love to throw down challenges. So I'm going to ask Debbie if you'd put um, a little bit of effort and put a boilerplate um, sample letter together that we can attach to the show notes. And I'm going to go one further to what Mark said. When you do write those letters, Take the link, which um, will be in the show notes for Sunday edition. Take the link to this show and pop it in there and urge them to listen to what we've been talking about today. So they can get so they can get those these firsthand perspectives from the horses, stallions, fillies, mouths themselves. Um, Mark, I wanted to ask you, we've talked a bunch about technology in, um, today. And I think, you know, technology is is the gate. It's the gate for all of us. In, you know, and most especially our students, does Cogswell Macy do anything to make technology, to make accessing technology more e easier for parents, you know, price points and um, getting um, approvals from, from the, you know, the commissions and the, the school districts, et cetera? Well, so the short answer is certainly under the Ann Sullivan Macy Center, one of the goals there is to talk about, you know, innovative practices, technologies and other things. I would like to hope for sure that the Macy Center would have as a top priority everything that you just talked about, how to streamline some of that, because there's no question that that's an issue. More broadly speaking, I mean, if you looked at the, excuse me, if you looked at the operative provisions, uh, you know, all the legalese in, in the in the Causal Macy bill, you wouldn't see technology taking that big of a of, of a of a of a, uh, play, a role there, and you might say, well, gee, that's disappointment. Uh, why not? And part of the challenge there is because this, the Causal Macy bill is all about amending the special education law, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act or IDEA, which is focused on specialized instruction, right? Which is different from, let's say, reasonable accommodation. Does this kiddo need a gizmo? 
uh, low, low cost or high cost or somewhere in between. That's about reasonable accommodation. That's about who's going to pay for it. Under the current system, uh, states and school districts are not allowed to use the fact that their budgets may be unbelievably restrictive as an excuse uh, to not, not to. provide yeah. yours to write. That's not a lot. As a practical matter, we know that that's a lovely theory, uh, and maybe you can enforce it in the courts if you get that far. The reality of it is uh, money is always going to be a challenge in America, where it seems like everything's on sale. Uh, and sometimes we don't do a good enough job at making sure that costs are reasonable. There are, however, other you know avenues. Uh, the states have assistive technology act programs and some low interest uh, uh, you know uh, loans, uh, loan yeah. program the, the certainly the vocational rehab system as an obligation as kiddo is transitioning and certainly beyond that after they get out of the special ed world uh to make technology available uh but i would i would say to you you know generally speaking the special ed uh system is all about the specialized instruction that is provided by particularly trained professionals uh, in specific areas. So that's part of the reason why uh, the Cogswell Macy Bill doesn't spend a lot of time in technology. That having been said, my final point on this is we do, we do specify <clears throat> as part of the expanded core curriculum, the need for every child to have access to low vision devices and services. And I don't think this is controversy. To me, that sounds like you know the gospel truth but the reality yeah. of it is there are some people who would make the argument and believe it or not they have sometimes strenuously uh that if you put low vision devices and services up there as prominently as we have in the bill side by side with the provisions that say thou shalt provide braille unless you can somehow determine that a kid is that for some reason like it's not appropriate for that child some people think that that somehow is challenging the Braille provisions, the necessity of and Braille. it is simply yeah. not true. And the reason why this is so important, uh, getting back now, Debbie, to your practical, what you know, be practical about this. The whole point of the Consul Macy Bill, and frankly, the entire Individuals with Disabilities Education Act sort of structure, is that this is a whole set. It's not a, it's not an education textbook, right? You wouldn't go to IDEA to find out how a TVI is supposed to perform her or his job. There are many other much more authoritative places to go do that. You go to IDEA and you'd go to the Causal Macy Bill as it amends IDEA to see what the toolbox, how full the toolbox of tools is that parents can use to yes. defend the rights of their kiddos. So Braille is already going to be there. It's been there forever. It's going to be there. Lord knows if I have anything to say about it. It's not going to be weakened. If not, we'll even probably strengthen it if we could. But it, we're also adding to that toolbox, and one of the things we're adding is that even if kiddo is getting Braille, that does not mean that somehow you shouldn't be maximizing that kid's every possible opportunity for us to get information into that little kid's head and to allow that kid to communicate and thrive and communicate that information back out. And if that means Braille alone or it means Braille and low vision devices and service, then by heavens, they're going to get it. So I want to alert Byron. In a moment or two, we're going to start taking questions. Um, there are two more that I have for you, Mark. Um, the first, I know it's not Cogswell Macy, but uh, there is a provision in the latest act that was passed for you know for COVID relief, et cetera, about broadband access. Can you just give the folks a little bit, if you have a little bit of information on how they can be, how they can access that for their for their kids? and what they might need to, to justify getting that low cost broadband? 
Oh gosh, uh, I wish Clark Rothwell were here to rescue me at this point because Clark, who is our you know ACB governmental affairs champion, uh, I've bragged on him multiple times. If I keep doing it, he'll never be able to get his head either in or outside of the door of their townhouse where he and his lovely wife live. But uh, he's, <laughs> he's 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 magnificent. I, I would I would get with him. That would be my advice. Uh, get a hold of All Clark right. and, and tell him that Mark Mark sent you. Uh, uh, to ask no, he's been to the show. We'll bring him. We'll bring him I, on. I, but I, but I think that would be the way to do it. I, I would say to you that you know, since that thing just got passed, I think uh, you know it's probably going to take a little while to figure out precisely how that's going to roll out. You know, some of that restriction has to do with it's a, a you know targeted at people with low income. Some of it's targeted to folks, particularly uh, seniors. I think there's a whole effort going on at the FCC relating to making sure seniors are connected with broadband. So it's another one of these things where it isn't you know, aimed that the, the arrow isn't aimed precisely at our hearts, uh, but it's, it's heading our way. And I think, uh, I think there's going to be some exciting opportunities there, but for, um, I'll, I'll, you can blame me. I've just given Clark more work to do, I guess. Now he loves coming to Sunday edition. Don't worry about it. Clark, if you're listening, I'll be calling. Um, <laughs> and, so- and, and, and therefore let, her, <laughs> let never, never let it be said that Mark Riker can't admit when he doesn't know something. I, I, I regularly don't know things usually once an hour on the hour. So. I tip my hat to you, Mr. Intrepid Trepid. <laughs> so I forwarded you a question from one of the Sunday edition uh, Sunday edition listeners. Could you talk a little bit about that? Um, you know, we don't want to name names on the show itself, but uh, now was this this is the question about hearings that uh, yes. Debbie was? Excuse me. Yes. So there are people, and I, I'm now winking at nobody more, Lori, than I'm winking at you. But I expect there are others who, or again, will probably forget more about that sort of how to make it happen kind of implementation side of things. And I, my, my uh, role in all of this, uh, I, I don't pretend even to be an, an education expert. I uh, sometimes pretend to be a policy nerd and if anything, maybe expert on federal legislative process. So my response to this is kind of academic, but every state's going to be a little bit different in precisely how the st- structure is put in place. or so the who's who is, you know, sitting at what tables and on what deadlines and that sort of thing. But if you're in a situation where kiddo is, your first step is to make sure that whatever it is you want for kiddo uh, is written in the IEP, the individual uh, individualized educational program. So it's a written document. It's been, you know, made, it's a subtle distinction. Courts will say that document is not per se a contract, but it comes pretty gosh darn close. Uh, yeah. And what they what they mean by that is, you know, yeah, you can't go sue necessarily to get money for it the way you would, let's say, if you had a contract on a house or a car or something. And this will be, a, but but it is a statement of what is required. And if that thing appears in the IEP, then by gosh, it's to be provided or else. Well, of course, that's the whole key, and which is why if you can't come to some kind of consensus around the proverbial IEP table about how to get stuff in there, then of course there's the big challenge. Parent will say. I can't believe you're doing this. Uh, I'm kind of feeling pressured here. I, you know, I'm getting all the excuses known to man. Uh, so then you sort of take it up the proverbial process. It's literally called a due process hearing. So of course the whole thing is about getting a number of folk together to have then a third party sort of you know help to manage. Not quite a not quite a mediator, but you know almost sort of sort of trying to play that role of an independent you know uh, set of eyes, if you will. Uh, to hear the arguments, hear what's going on, what 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 do the evaluations provide? What does this kid really need? And which is why I say evaluations are so critical, which is why the Alice Cogswell and Macy Act is so critical. If you don't have 
the regular the array of evaluations and they've been mentioned here like the functional vision assessment the lma you know any number of other fun acronyms we can drop on you those things are specifically designed for kids who are blind or visually impaired and the, the results of those uh, assessments are absolutely key to determining what a, a child might might need and there are similar evaluations for you know targeted and other specific disabilities as well so it's important that those evaluations be done and if they're not done then you're going to have a hard time making your case which is why parent they may also be wanting to say yes i've been demanding that my kiddo get a learning media assessment for a long time they keep saying that's inappropriate for my kid because my kid's never going to function at that level and i just simply don't believe it uh, so you have to make sort of that intermediary argument beyond when the IEP team has decided it has either come to consensus and parent has been left out of it, or they can't come to some kind of a consensus and the process breaks down, then it's important to go to that next sort of legal step before one goes off to, to court. Literally going to court is, is the last resort so, for no yeah. other reason. It takes so gosh darn long that you know years are ticking by uh, in your kid's education. And your ahead, situation is already... I'm sorry, this is Lori. I would also suggest contacting the Protection and Advocacy Program yep. 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 that covers the state that this individual lives in. Um, also reach out to Debbie or myself. We may be able to get somebody involved to kind of write a letter of justification that's more like independent. Um, and the other thing I just wanted to say, I really love that Cogswell Macy is looking to add the low vision devices because for a lot of our kiddos with CVI cortical visual impairment, yeah. that is so important. And those children are so under identified. I really hope that we're able to help them going forward. So I know we're pushing up a time. I want to pick up, Lori, on one thing you said. And again, Debbie, following up on how to be practical. Uh, I, I love this story. So this is one I, I, for a while, some of you know this, I've worked for ACB. I was actually ACB's first director of advocacy services, the job that Claire and a few others have had over the years. And that was in 1997. And one of the things that I had the privilege of doing was occasionally going with some parents locally here in the Washington, D.C. area to uh, their IEP meetings. Well, I will tell you, if you think I don't know things now, well, I knew less than nothing then. Uh, but I was, you know, what, 26 years old, had a nice, lo lovely little suit. I was actually slim and trim back then I, for about 45 minutes in the mid-90s. I was, I was a slim and trim fellow. So I thought I looked real good, right? And so there I go marching off to the first one of these IEP meetings. And I sat in my little suit and had to brag about how I was this lawyer from Washington. I didn't know anything about it. I was totally embarrassing myself. But here's the key. They had me come in. Here's this little blind, far too full of himself dude sitting there in his little suit at the table. I barely got a few words in edgewise, but you know what? I didn't have to. Because that parent told me after the meeting, after we left, she because I was amazed sitting there listening during the meeting. Not only did I frankly not know a whole heck of a lot, but I also didn't have to say anything because it seemed like these people were, were going by the book. I mean, they were yeah. whipping out copies of things like, oh, parent, uh, here's a, I just want to make sure you have this. This is a copy of our school district, little restatement of your child's rights. And here's what you can do. And for sure, maybe we should meet again next month and talk about it. And the parent left that meeting saying, you know, gee, I realize you didn't really get an opportunity to talk. But I'm just so grateful that you came along because just your fact that you were there helped sort of galvanize their attention. So it's, this is not about me. It's about you. So I want to tell you. 
not only should you write and have a letter coming from someone like a Debbie or a Lori or, you know, someone who you want to know and trust and bring, you're also entitled to bring somebody of your own choosing with you to an IEP uh, meeting. And these virtual days, for sure, you've got, a, you know, geography is not going to limit you. You don't have to wait for Mark Reichert who doesn't know anything to come with you in Washington, D.C. It doesn't have to be point. the parent advocate for the school district. That's correct. Very often yeah. they'll tell you, oh, well, the parent advocate is going to be there. They're your friend. No, oh. they're not. Who sent them? The school district. So let's take a pause for a moment. Um, I want to ask uh, Lori, Debbie, Mark, will you guys be willing to stay for a few minutes after we go off air to answer any questions we don't get to on air? Oh, of course. Sure. All right, cool. Sure. So I want to um, I want to open up to all of the panelists. If what are some suggestions that you have for parents out there who think that their children are not being um, are not being given the proper evaluations, are not being um, set up the way with best practices, the best way that they possibly can to get all the knowledge into the heads, as Mark so uh, beautifully puts. Excuse me, Anthony. And, this is ahead. Pam. I just wanted to, to tell you that Gina Gina Quaid, who is a longtime TBI here in Kentucky, is now with us. So I, I just wanted everybody to know that she's here. All right. Um, Gina, why don't you say hello? Tell us a little about yourself. And if you um, can answer the question I just asked, that'd be great. Uh, I forgot the question you just asked, but hi, I'm Gina Quaid, and I am a regional consultant for the Kentucky School for the Blind now. But I have worked in Alabama at the deaf school, actually, and then I worked in a public school in Alabama, and then I came to Kentucky and I worked at the blind school in a fourth grade classroom, and then I worked in the short-term program, and now I have transitioned into a consultant's uh, role. So um, I agree with a lot of things Mark was saying. I was sitting here going, oh, that is so cool. Um, I didn't, I haven't heard about this law. I don't know why, but um, anyway, I just, um, I, I've just been teaching quite a long time. I don't have any children who are visually impaired. I have a nephew who's deaf that I grew up with, um, more like a brother. And um, I, I don't know, do you, what was the question again? <laughs> the question- Oh, Gina, I have a, go ahead. I have a question. Go ahead, can you, can you tell us with obviously while protecting everybody's rights under HIPAA everywhere else, are there any other rights? What are some of the sorts of problems or situations that you are called upon by the TVIs whom you um, supervise to help them figure out what sorts of things do they bring to you or what sorts of things do you notice when you're meeting with them and observing them? Okay, so uh, everything almost, but um, one of the things with Braille that we face a lot of times as TVIs is we will have, uh, I was lucky enough, I had one student who was a Braille student when I taught in public school, and then I had about six other visually impaired or hearing impaired students, I, I'm certified in both areas, and so I was fairly um, lucky in that I had plenty of time to give that student lots of braille, but I'm noticing with my TBIs, some of them have a caseload of uh, probably eight on their caseload, but then they're also serving kids with multiple disabilities. So they may have eight visually impaired kids and four of those, three to four of those be braille students. And as you know, if, if, you, if you can't get 
kids who start with Braille, they they are already behind because kids who have vision have been seeing print since they were born, basically. And uh -huh. so when when you can't give them that Braille right away and, and all day, it kind of puts them more behind. And you can't get districts to understand that this teacher needs to spend at least every day, two or three hours with that student and then have an assistant who's providing braille during the other classes. Even if the child's just a braille reader, I tell my teachers all the time, we have kids who don't read print when they're in kindergarten, but we give them print because they're seeing print. So our braille students need to see braille. And so um, that's the biggest braille issue I think that I see is I have teachers who are trying to serve so many students and and not being able to give their braille students the the uh, the braille they need all day long um I, I was then lucky enough to go to the kentucky school for the blind where i was able to give my students braille all day long because the braille students that i had were were at a school for the blind uh but um that's one of the main re things and then pa pam and i were talking about when kids go to the blind school, we do have a we have a very good uh, short term program at KSV, or at least when I was there, it seemed to be a good program. Um, the kids can come up to 12 weeks out of the year uh, in their age group. So we have an elementary, a middle and a high group that come through. Um, so they can get some, they can't get the braille they need. They can get those other ECC areas a little bit more, but Braille, they need yeah. that way more than just two weeks here and there. Uh, at least the kids that really need Braille. Um, I guess that's, that's kind of my So for the, for the program itself, I wanna give everybody the opportunity to give some final thoughts and then we will go to questions when we go off air and we'll go from top down. Um, Debbie, do you have some final thoughts? Well, I'm not top, but I'll, I'll give a final thought. <laughs> Your top's in my I, book. Oh, you're so sweet. I am so thrilled with Cogswell Macy and what it can do for our kiddos if we will just do what we can to see that it is passed into law. And I think that all of us listening today can do something. We can write a letter. We can help a parent write a letter. If we know blind children in our community, there is something all of us can do. And you know what? I just want to say, we've got some of the best experts here and praise God and thank him for every single one of them. But you don't have to be an expert in education and an educational policy to step up and lend a helping hand right where yeah. you live, right where you are. And so if you don't take anything else away from this program today, please have a heart to help a friend. If somebody says, my little grandson, say, you know, if, if you would like, you can give your family my phone number. And I would be delighted to talk to them, to hear a voice, to hear someone. So don't say you can't do something. All of us can do something. And if we all do that one or two little things we can do, the world will be so much more greatly enhanced in terms of equality of opportunity and the educational opportunities for our blind kiddos. And so that's what I want to say. Let's, let's all try said. to hit one out of the park. Thank you. Lori? 
Beautifully said, Debbie. Lori? Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. I would just encourage people to, like Debbie said, reach out and help parents realize the potential of their children. Donna? Oh, um, <laughs> it's hard to follow those two. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. So I, I would imagine most people that were listening are blind or low vision themselves, probably. But um, don't be afraid to be a mentor um, yeah. to, you know, teachers and, and students and families. That's it. Pam? Thank you. Two things. It's clear that we need more TVIs. Too high caseloads. If Cogswell Macy can help us get more TVIs, I mean, by putting those requirements specifically out there, they are legal requirements. Let's have more TVIs. Hire more. Encourage. If you have friends look, thinking about what they're going to go into, hey, if you have any interest, maybe you can become a TVI. It's one thing. Second thing, as far as mentor there is a very special bond between people who have the same issue. I mean, we all know it. My yeah. students, they see me reading Braille or using technology. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh, you're so fast. How'd you get so fast? Well, a lot of years, a lot of practice. You can too, if you, and they get more into it. And whatever skills that you have, there's such a need for technology, but anything that you can, even just talking and encouraging, but helping anything that you're good at with technology, if you can, just individually help a student, a child, that, that's tremendously useful. Was it uh, Andy? Andy, are you still Gina? with us? And Gina? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, go. Oh, sorry, can you remind me of the question? Any final thoughts? Oh, just final thoughts. Um, no, I... Um, just, I mean, well, yeah, kind of on, a, on another note, the, the other thing that is that I've really um, just tried to really um, use a lot of this year and just, sorry about that, uh, sorry about that, that I've thought about many times this year working with my students and with the parents is um, just the importance of, of us all working together. Um, I try and have as much communication as I can with, with my students' parents um, to make sure that you know, they know what we're what we're working on together. That I get their input about things that they want to see their students working on, and that they're aware what their students want to work on as well. That things that might not be related to like a current goal, but just you know things the their students are interested in working on. And I've I've loved um, this year just um, taking that into my into my teaching and working closely with my parents and their students. So it's been a great year. Awesome. Thanks, I would love Andy. to just say add, add patience to that, that, you know, that list. Patience is definitely the key. Don't, don't beat yourself up if the first door that you knock on isn't the door. If the first time you, you reach out for something, it isn't the one that works. Patience and persistence. Mark, final thoughts? I am so grateful for life these days. This, this last year, I think everyone you know, we don't have to go through all that again. We know what 2020 was like uh, and a little bit of 2021, uh, but I, somehow there's a little bit of a different spring in our step uh, right now. And thank God for that. Two of the reasons why I'm so grateful for life right now are number one, I'm so grateful to the women and men of ACB who voted me to be your first vice president. Um, I'd love to do better. And uh, 
looking forward to doing more of that with you, but it just means the world to me uh, that my fellow blind and visually impaired brothers and sisters uh, giving that vote of confidence. It means the world to me. The second thing that I'm grateful for is that I get to do a shameless plug for my day job, which is to say uh, the folks in AER, particularly the blind and visually impaired uh, teachers of blind and visually impaired kiddos, the TVIs who are our members, uh, want to be of help, want to stand with you shoulder to shoulder, as was just said. If you, whoever you are, are interested in getting a hold of a TVI who you can talk to directly, who can give you some advice, give you some sort of independent, uh, you know, uh, just chit chat or even just words of encouragement, there are plenty of those out there. They may not be able to be legally part of what you're doing. But I know there are plenty who would love to hear from you and talk. If you want yeah. that to happen or if there's any other way we can help, don't hesitate to drop me a note at my day job work, which is mark, M-A-R-K, at aerbvi.org. Thanks and God bless. All right. Next Sunday is Easter. I hope everyone has a healthy and happy Easter. Those that are celebrating Passover, happy Passover. I will be taking next week off and we'll be back the following week with another great show. This has been Sunday edition. Thank you everyone who joined me today. You've been listening to Sunday edition with Anthony on ACB radio mainstream. For more information, questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc., please email celebrationac, that's the word celebration, with the letters ac at aol.com. Look forward to hearing from you, and let's brunch again next Sunday.